podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, SelectQuote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote. We shop. You save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. Hello, welcome to the Five Year Plan Podcast. It's uh, Pod Four Oh Six. A little bit later on this week, thanks to the uh, the marvel of Premier League midweek fixtures, which does mean we have two games to review, and in typical Palace fashion, two defeats. Uh, so that's going to be fun. Um, reviewing that game with me, um, I have uh, Jack Pierce. Hello, Jack. Hey, JD. Yes, two defeats. Can't wait. <laughs> it's gonna be, it's gonna be great. Uh, Joe Walker is here. Joe, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Always, a, always a pleasure to be on, no matter what the result. You know, it doesn't matter. That's what I'm should have said about. that. Should have said that. <laughs> should have said that. Yeah. That's what I like. And uh, John Curran is back as well. JC, how are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. The Nathaniel Klein of the podcast. <laughs> You're working your way around those fringe players. You'll be uh, you'll be wardy before too long. Don't worry. Um, right, we've got two games to crack on with, so we will do that as soon as possible. Uh, first of all, let's do, of course, our traditional drum roll for a random patron. It's Mister Nicholas Jones. Hello, hey. Nicholas. Hello, Nicholas. Recently joined our patron. You can do the same and get all the rewards like Nicholas gets, including post-match podcasts. Two post-match pods this week. Uh, patron-only merchandise and access to the patron-only Discord club, which, as you can imagine, has been a happy place this week, um, at patreon.com forward slash FYP podcast. All patrons get 20% off all lines of FYP merchandise immediately, but anyone can buy merch at podcastmerch.co.uk forward slash FYP hyphen podcast. Um, I should as well let you know, and I forgot to do it less last week, uh, a new issue of One More Point was out last week so Chris who did the um, combo issue with us a few months ago has done his own one uh, issue 6 to 1 he'll be selling them I think at the next home game uh, but you can also DM him on Twitter which is at one more point one I think um, to get postal orders so do check it out because uh, it's good to have one more point back after 18 years I think it was um, and it felt like 18 years before Palace were going to lose a game we were doing so well this week but two defeats in the space of a couple of days uh, Aston Villa 2-1 leads 1-0 um, Jack I know we don't like to make excuses on this podcast we're not about that but did the referee in both games lose the game to Palace because Kevin Friend was terrible on Tuesday night but Mr Salisbury I believe a brand new referee um, wasn't particularly great on Saturday was he? He wasn't great he <laughs> It was his first Premier League game, and if, if the Premier League were watching and they do go to every game to assess the referee, I'd be surprised if he gets another one anytime soon. The fact he's on the 
list but hasn't had a game until end of November probably says a few things. Um, I just felt his control of the game. Look, decisions go against you and for you as the games come and go. That That's fine. I get that the old decision might come for us or go against us and maybe that's worth talking about with Kevin Friends. But I just felt his the, the Michael Salisbury's management of the game on on Saturday kind of took away from from what should have been a Premier League game. It took ages for free kicks to be taken because he was he was so fussy about walls and metres and both sides kind of looked at him as if to say, what's going on here? Um, the, the red card that he gave for Villa, which obviously I would have loved to have stood, never looked like a red card. Um, nobody hmm. appealed for it. It was very peculiar. Um, I, yeah, I just felt the game kind of suffered for his his lack of management of the, of the fixture. Um, and, and he did, sadly, look a bit out of his depth and then... Kevin Friend on um, on Tuesday night, very experienced Premier League referee. I didn't think he had a particularly good game either. I do think he got the penalty right at the end. I, I, I've really no objections for um, for the handball. Um, if that had been the other way, I'd be absolutely um, livid if we hadn't got it. So um, not the penalty, but again, just his management of the game, um, some peculiar um, engagement with Leeds, fan, uh, Leeds players. I kind of found he's very pally with Leeds players, very fussy about Tyreek and, and throw-ins and, you know, I think it's just a given that players kind of take a, a few yards with a with a throw, but he was on him straight away. Um, yeah, just felt yeah, just felt the, the refereeing of the last two games has been a tad below par. Um, but that is a contributing factor, not the only factor towards two Palace defeats. I'm sure we'll get into other reasons for those um, for those defeats as we go through the games. Yeah, I think below par is probably actually a good way to describe Palace, Joe. Certainly in the first game, which Vieira did say after the game was a, a bad day at the office, slightly better um, in the Leeds game. Uh, but a frustrating week, really, especially after that run of games where we had been so good. W- were you slightly encouraged by the Leeds performance, despite the ending, obviously, compared to Villa? A little more than, certainly more than the Villa game. I, I think we're seeing when certain members of the team are missing... It's not, you know, we're just kind of coming to the fore as, a, as our, our best 11 is sort of has been worked out and they've played a, a long run of games together and keep, if not winning every game, certainly not losing very many. And that led to a lot of confidence. But as players are starting to get go missing or be injured for little periods of time, um, would that be MacArthur, would that was Anderson from the Villa game onwards? We're seeing we haven't eat, we haven't necessarily got uh, we think we're ready-made replacements. We're, we're still trying to work out how we, if we can play the same when a couple of players are taken out of that system. Um, and we're still working that out. So the Villa game tried again with Kuyate and Luca in midfield in the absence of MacArthur. I didn't think it worked at Burnley and I think it didn't work at, at, against Villa. Saw it changed on Tuesday um, with Schlupp placed instead of Luca. I think we were slightly better in midfield. But nowhere near as kind of um, all action and, and dominating as we perhaps have been before that. The Anderson injury has changed a lot. Tompkins is, I haven't really had an issue, massive issue of him in the last couple of games, bar his defending on the Villa set piece for their first goal. But he's just, he's just that the, the passing around the back, he slightly slowed it down a bit. But I don't think he's the, the main culprit as to why things are going wrong necessarily. Um, and we're going to have to see what happens again now when we go to Old Trafford on Sunday. Ward will be away. Klein will come in. Is he going to be as confident? You'd, lo- you'd hope so. Um, but yeah, will that midfield change yet again? Or will it be Schlupp and Kiate and, and Gallagher again? We'll have to see because we're yet to see a convincing replacement without MacArthur. Hughes had a little cameo, 
but I don't know if it's enough to, to command a start yet. And um, we haven't yet shown a midfield that can turn the game yet either in, at the moment without MacArthur. Uh, Eze came on against Villa. It's good to see him, but I don't know if he necessarily affected the game enough. Uh, certainly not enough to be considered to be brought on on Tuesday night, which I thought was quite interesting. So still a load of question marks. And isn't it funny how, well, we're not losing can quickly turn to, we're not winning very many when, when you lose a couple on the bounce in a week. But um, I don't think it's panic stations. I just think the reality of a full Premier League season and injury hit, we, we always lose a lot of players around this time of year. And um, it's interesting to see how we're going to adapt because we're still working it out evidently. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I think also with a young, younger squad, younger manager, form is going to be inconsistent. And I think that's going to happen. I think with, with Eze coming back and, and Elise to a certain extent as well, I don't think expectations should be too high at the moment because Eze is still working his way back in after a horrific injury. Elise is not even 20 yet, or I think maybe turns 20 this week. So obviously a very young player. And that is going to happen with, with inconsistency. I do want to talk about Luca and Czech and that combo in part three. We've, we've got a lot of questions about it. And in fact, I think it actually opens up a discussion maybe about Luca in general, which we will come on to. Um, JC, though, in that Villa game, I think it's been the last thing on Villa before we move on to some of the key incidents in the Leeds game. Uh, one of the things that really struck me was Vieira taking Wilf off uh, towards the end, which I thought was a very, very ballsy move. I don't think Wilf had the best game. So I, I, I sort of quite liked it as a sort of as a ballsy move but I know Stelzi on the post-match pod was saying well he's your, he's your best ever player so that would be a silly thing to do what were your thoughts on on that move from Vieira because we have had also comments later on about substitutions and stuff like that but were you a fan of that given the the, the circumstances or do you, do you do you think maybe it was a silly move um I, I was I was surprised when he was uh, taken off. Um, but I wasn't surprised because I thought he was instrumental. I was surprised because I've never seen Wilf substituted before in my yeah, life, yeah. I don't think. So yeah. that was literally what the surprise was. And um, if you actually look at the game against Villa, I remember probably in the first two, three minutes of the game, Mitchell does a nice rolling ball, 20-yard, 30-yard rolling ball to um, Zaha, and the ball goes under his, under his foot and loses it. And then a minute later, Zaha tries to play a cross ball, gives it away. And I thought, you've just set the scene. You know, you've, you've just really put your marker down. You're not concentrating. Are you going to be in this game or not? I don't think he was in the game at all. Um, I also think, I think one thing Sell said, which is justified, but again, it slightly based in the past is you know it's the it's Zaha who in the last few minutes can turn a game you know and he him and Mitchell were coming into the game now this is 70 minutes gone you know 20 minutes left and he's coming into the game well what's he been doing for 70 minutes do you understand now if we if we're mm. talking and we're boasting about the best squad we've ever had and you're Edward on the bench or you're Eze on the bench, and you're seeing Zaha not performing at all, or doing bits, doing what bread and butter, what you would expect him to do as a premiership, you know, attacking player, you'd be thinking, well, when am I coming on? Do you know? So, so but this is, this is, so we talk about his, Vieira's game management, which is a young manager, he's making mistakes, but you can also justify why he took Zaha off. He's got other players on the bench who can do stuff. Zaha has not placed his marker or stake in the ground for that Villa game. He didn't do it in the first two minutes. He'd been bullied. Bully, I mean, bullied by players 
you know, that are good premiership players. He got booked for another kind of, you know, tussle because whoever it was, um, your man, um, I've got his name now, but Cash. He's the, uh, the, <clears throat> the Polish international, Matthias. The po- Matthias Cash. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Matthias Cash. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but he, he um, you know, fake grabbing is because every. Every scout will say, listen, just fake something against Zaha and he'll have a fit and he'll get booked. You remember when Zaha used to get players booked because they used to hack him down every mm-hmm. single game? You'd been Zaha. That's gone because he's slow, a bit slow, and you can understand that. But now, if, you, if you're a player playing against him, just you don't have to do much to rough him up for him to, that, to, uh, to that, you know... I, I think the yellow card was probably a factor in being taken off, to be honest, because as I said... Well, that's what Vieira, Vieira said that, because everyone said... Yeah. I, I think it was I, it was a bit unfair of Cells to say that Vieira was silly. I, I think, think that, that, as referee, you said, there's a, there's a, yellow, there's a yellow card. card. Exactly. exactly. And I think, you know, going into a, a midweek game, um, I, I think it might have been a bit of self-preservation. Um, he wasn't having the best game. Um, and, you know... <laughs> We can't keep saying we've got a brilliant squad and then have somebody that's just untouchable in terms of being substituted. The, the quality of player that we can bring on at the moment means that taking Wilf off isn't the same as taking Wilf off in the last few seasons. That said, yeah. when the board went up and it was 11, I didn't actually know who number 11 was because I don't think I've ever seen 11 <laughs> on the fourth official's board. So I did actually have to turn to my cousin and, and just confirm who that is and then obviously um, <laughs> realised it was Wilf. So it was a surprise. Um, and... I thought Cash actually played in quite well on Saturday, on, uh, on Saturday and I think equally Stuart Dallas played in quite well um, on, on Tuesday night as well. And that's going to happen. You're going to have full-backs who know they're up against a, a top-quality player and sometimes he's not going to get the better of that right-back. But I thought Cash had a particularly good game against him and, and I spoke to a Villa fan in the, in the pub after the game and he said Cash is a very good Premier League right-back. And I, every time I see Cash, I think he's, he's good quality um, and he's probably unlucky that he's playing in a position where England have about 14 good um, alternative to him and that's why he's gone seeking an alternative um, international selection so good luck to him but yeah I thought he played well but I didn't think I didn't think the sub of Wilf um, changed it either I didn't think we were any better for taking Wilf off uh, that's no, I, 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 t- I, told, I totally agree but I think that I would never ever expect to see Wilf being dropped from a starting lineup, I'd be so upset if I see Wilf being dropped at yeah, the same time agreed. it's a coming of age where we should be able to say that if he's not having a good game, that he sh- he can be subbed. If we're holding on to this idea of in- he has got the ability to change a game in the last twenty, that that's a that's a massive risk to take. That's you know that's just kind of yeah. throwing you know but you can't you can't do that when you've got these quality players on the bench. No, and and I think the other thing that you could throw into it as well is I know there are murmurs that contract negotiations are going relatively well but Wilf is uh, after the turn of the year going to turn into his last 18 months of this contract so there could be some argument that you do need to kind of test an existence without Wilf I don't think that's going to be the case and I really hope it's not the case I hope he does sign on and um, you know he's here for as long as we want him to be and he wants to be with us but I, I do think it's no bad thing to to see what we can do in a competitive Premier League fixture without him um, but as I said it the sub didn't really turn it so you could argue Will's position is probably stronger than it was before he was substituted. Um, can I move on to the Leeds game? And actually, that does bring me on to my point, Joe, quite nicely, which is that obviously for a new manager, it is difficult. You're trying to implement your style, which Vieira has been doing. You're trying to stamp your authority on the on the team. So maybe there's something behind that with the Will substitution. But then on Tuesday night, 
Um, he drops Benteke, brings Benteke late on. Ed, Edward plays out wide. Will through the middle. I don't think that worked particularly well through the middle. Um, and then Benteke has two chances late on. One, he does very well to prod a foot out and, and you know, half a second quicker or whatever, that's over the line and a goal. And then a, a header that he really should have put in. But, you know, either of those go in and Vieira's a genius for substitution-wise, but they don't and people are questioning it. So it, it, it is fine, fine margins. But that Benteke's second miss in particular, was, or the header, was a particularly sort of galling miss, wasn't it? Yeah, that, 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 that should win the game. I, I, I'm a big defender of Benteke, but ultimately... I've always put that as his biggest strength. You want it knocked in high at the far post and it was in. Yeah. And he's almost, I don't know what the heading equivalent of a scuff is. It sort of just brushed the side <laughs> of his head and, and dragged the wide. And yeah, he's, he's much better than that. And that's not really, well, it isn't excusable. And that would have, that would have completely changed the game. And as you say, everything looks different after that. Um, but yeah, the substitutions, we're in an interesting place with the, with the wide players at the moment. And, even now, Wilf is in the mix of that, as we saw with the Villa game. But um, this push to start, Elise did it again, uh, or did it with Villa. And it was a bit like the Newcastle game. Didn't get much joy. I think everyone was expecting him to come off for an IU. And that, and again, I have to say, the Leeds game, IU had a very, very busy yeah, game. And I thought, again, an endorsement, I thought it was a massive endorsement of why he does start games. I'm one of the few that totally understands why he does. Yeah. Um, if not having the best product in that time, admittedly, but he's laid a claim for when you're not having a lot of the ball against a very energetic side, he was finding space. He gave that left back a nightmare. He got subbed at half time in the end. Um, and that, so there's competition on that side, but then also you're factoring in Edward fits somewhere in there. Cause when we, I feel like when we change a wide player, it can also mean the change of the, whoever is up top as well. After we're seeing Edward move out wide and Benteke come in. So it's, we still really, we're still, there's still a lot up in the air as to like what's our strongest, what's our best foot forward at the moment. I genuinely don't know the answer. It, it's, 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 it's the sort of two sides of the same coin almost because you, on one side you're saying brilliant options, this is great. And the other side is saying we don't actually know what our best combo is. Mm. So I guess in a way probably good headaches to have. But the longer the season goes on, you would like to find some sort of consistency there. I'm glad you mentioned IU because I'm a big Jordan IU fan. I thought he was possibly our best player on Tuesday night. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. And involved in Jack, one of the most controversial moments of the game, which of course is that penalty claim that he had in the first half. Pascal Struke putting two hands on him in the box. While I think we're all in agreement that the Gahey penalty was a penalty, um, although I did tweet from FYP after the game I was, um, that maybe what was Gahey doing. I, to be someone, and someone, I, can't, I forget the name, and I'm sorry did point out that I think Gehi is trying to lean on, the, lean on Cooper and actually doesn't, doesn't get there. I think Cooper maybe sort of like misjudges his header. And so as a result, the arm that's supposed to go on Cooper goes towards the ball. So it looks really sort of uh, a weird movement to make. But again, under the sort of current rules, that is a penalty. So frustrating. Um, and we can come on to that if you guys want to talk about that and debate that one more. But I think the IU one is a big moment, Jack, in the game. And, and it's split. The, the pundits in, in, the, in the studio, Clinton, absolutely adamant it's a penalty. Michael Owen, not so sure. And then Mark Clattenburg. And, you know, when has he been wrong about Palace in the past? I uh, didn't <laughs> think it was a penalty either. But what were your thoughts? It was a bit rich of Michael Owen to say it's not a penalty when just a, a breath of wind would blow him over when he was playing. But <laughs> I did, um, I, it was just, I, in real time, I didn't think it was a penalty. And then, you know, with the benefit of, of the angles, you can see that, that Strike has has both hands on IU at one point. And I, I, 
I think there's a strong case for a penalty there. Um, again, using the test I did earlier about the gay penalty, if it happened against us, if that was Mitchell on, on Rafinha, I think it was soft. It would be one of the softer penalties, but it's naive from, from Strauch. Um, but in terms of meeting the kind of clear and obvious error, I don't think it's close enough for, for Simon Hooper to tell Kevin Friend that he needs to go and check that. So I wasn't surprised there was no consideration in terms of VAR, but yeah, on another day we get that. And um, at that point, we were, we were a threat every time we went forward. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think we maybe were a little bit unlucky there, but if it, if it had been given against us, I, yeah, I wouldn't be best pleased. So it's one of those that you get sometimes you don't on other, other occasions. But I thought, I thought Strout didn't need to do what he did. Um, so it, it, it probably would have been a justified penalty if it had been given. Yeah, actually, JC, that's a really good point about the VAR, actually, because um, I think people get confused by VAR, and I certainly do as well. It's not necessarily about is it a right or wrong decision. It's is the error in giving it or not giving it clear and obvious. And I guess Jack's right. Maybe this one was a bit more murky. You could possibly argue maybe that that Ayu's taking the ball out of play, so maybe doesn't have it under control. But from a couple of angles, the push does look substantial, doesn't it? And maybe you could argue elsewhere on the pitch, centre circle, that gets given the free kick all day long. So so I can sort of see why VAR didn't give it, but what were your thoughts on it, JC? Yeah, I, I thought it was a penalty. Um, but with, with, the, the, with this rule of the clear and obvious error, you can see why it's got that. It's trying to almost, VAR is trying to kind of give a human aspect to decision-making, you know, that there can be fine lines and, you know, things like that. But it's still interesting when you've got this type of technology in, say, rugby or American football, or there is no space for fine lines. And maybe what they could do, uh, it's almost like if they tell the referee to go and have a look on the screen, it means you've done something yeah. wrong and give yeah, the decision. Yeah. Which is problematic Nonsense, because, yeah. because the yeah. referee then becomes knowing that they're going to have to do something. But I wouldn't mind maybe seeing it a little bit more, just kind of going, oh, it's a fine line, you should go and have a look. We're not sure. Do you think, JC, there was a good video from Australia last year or year before last where they they mic'd up the referee and the VAR referee and you can hear what they were saying. And and that one was like a clear red. I think some guy two-footed someone. But like, it'd be interesting. And this does happen in American sports to hear them say, oh, okay, what do you think here? Oh, it's a push, but is he under control, et cetera, et cetera. I just think that that would benefit referees and make them sort of make people relate to them more. To be honest with you, I I think that... um, I think that with the Leeds game, there were bigger issues than that penalty. Of course, if we got the penalty and we scored, um, Jack's totally right. We were. I was watching the first half and saying, you know, this Leeds team are not very mm. good at all. Um, and then I looked at our team and how we set up, and I said, we haven't set up properly. Um, and we didn't set up properly for Villa as well. Um, playing Luca and and Czech for the Villa game was a massive mistake. We still tried to play the short game as well, which just didn't. There was building blocks not fitting. It was obvious. And then um, and then with the uh, in the Leeds game, you're thinking, well, Zaha's playing down the middle. Uh, we've changed it up a bit. We're not playing out as much. We're playing the ball long. And you know, Zaha um, not being having a go but he's over six foot you know he should be able to anticipate how to put his body in front of a centre-back you know if he's going to be playing in that position and he so we weren't getting anything really from that from the first half we weren't creating chances we 
we had them a bit under pressure. The two third last two thirds, we were doing nothing. Ayu, I think you know Joe. What Joe said that Ayu was busy, and I think that's a really good way of framing Ayu, right? You know, mm-hmm. he didn't have Joe Ward supporting him. Okay, you know, so that he had to do it all by himself, head down, run with the ball, either get fouled, try and get a corner, and then the final product for cross isn't good enough. You know, it's a kind of so that's kind of where we are at the moment. Um, and I just think that actually both Villa and Leeds were down to tactical tactical issues. Um, can I? I'm going to take a break in a minute, and we'll go on to uh, winners and losers really quickly. Though the Gahey penalty, let, let's make it. I did this at the end of part one as, last week as well, and I know it's uh, it's, a, it's a more complicated issue to phrase in one word, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, one word answers: penalty. Yes or no? Gahey, uh, Joe. Yes. Yeah. Jack. Yeah. Certain. JC? Yeah, definitely. There we go. Uh, right, okay, let's take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, it is winners and losers. It's nearly Christmas, and that always brings a busy, festive football period. So what better way to unwind than with 10 free beers from Beer 52? And much like Palace offering up the goods earlier this season, so are Beer 52. They're offering FYP listeners two extra free beers on top of the usual eight. So that's, quick math, JD, 10 free beers in total. Just go to beer52.com slash FYP. That's the word beer, numbers, 52.com slash FYP. And all you've got to do is cover just the postage of 5.95 and do it before the 17th of December to get those two extra free beers. Um, Joe, I believe you got sent some Beer 52 beers recently. Uh, do you enjoy them? I did, very much so. Um, they, they give you quite a wide variety. You can get some stouts in there, to parallels, um, lagers, cans and bottles. There's generally generally a theme of a country. Uh, mine was the Czech Republic, so about three quarters of them were different uh, brews from 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 Czechia or Czech Republic, however you want to call it. Um, my favourite though was a pale ale from Salzburg, Austria, called Stiegel. I hope I'm not butchering a pronunciation of that, but I really like that, and I'm going to keep an eye out for that if I see it out and about now because was almost disappointed there was only one in there but yeah <laughs> i feel like i'm much more cultured now after that after those 10 <laughs> and you get some snacks in there as well some nice um some pretzels and also a very i couldn't even tell you what they were some sort of olive crisp Ooh. snack couldn't tell you where it was from but yeah. it went down well lovely I think uh, getting Beer 52 and becoming more cultured, I think, is a great tagline to do. So there you go. You officially get more cultured with Beer 52. And Joe's right. Each month, they send experts around the world to find the best beer available anywhere on planet Earth. And they give their members a new case, usually, as Joe says, from a different part of the world. Members have had beer from 40 different countries across five continents so far. So treat yourself this Christmas. You can impress your friends, family and dinner guests uh, with a cast of the Hoppy IPAs, crisp craft lagers and the sumptuous stouts. Uh, And if the dark beer is not your thing you can choose the light option and as well as the beers of course you receive ferment magazine uh, which goes into beers and breweries and themes and you also get two delicious snacks as joe said to wash down with the beer um, after redeeming your first case you will be joining the monthly beer club at 24 pounds a month but there's no minimum commitment and just like lucian Favre this summer you can change your mind and pause and cancel at any time go to beer52.com slash fyp pay the 5.95 postage and do it before 17th of december to get those two extra free beers Uh, welcome back to the Five Year Plan Podcast. It's part two, which is of course of our winners and losers. This is a patron-only section. So if you're listening on the public feed, go to patreon.com forward slash FYP podcast to hear this. Um, otherwise, you're now going to hear a clip from 
Oh, I guess the leads, maybe both uh, pod extras uh, to get a little taste of what you can get if you sign up to the FYP patron. Um, but we're going to make the split now. I don't know how many midfield combinations we've had, um, but it was an interesting decision. And I thought Schlupp actually, he did a reasonable job, didn't he? I've felt so, but probably became less of an influence as the game sort of wore on really I thought first half I thought he did quite well um, and after sort of the early storm we grew into the game a bit really and I thought we had a bit more quality than they did in, in many ways but we just there were so many situations where we didn't quite pick that right pass or make that right choice or or had one touch too many or whatever, when we were in so many sort of good areas, really. Um, but the lineup, I, I, I wasn't, it was kind of what I half expected. Um, I thought he might go down that road um, for his energy, particularly against that opponent, which like we, the Luca check thing, as we talked about at length after Saturday, didn't really work out. It's a bit Lampard Gerrard, isn't it? Really, in that midfield, not quite as he, good uh, quality, but <laughs> yeah, I'll find a way. We'd be able to accommodate them as two number eights. We just need a good number six, wouldn't we? To be yeah. fair, but but the but the I think we had, um, you know, I think he made the right choice in doing doing that, as in. You know, the Luca check situation, only playing one of them. And I think probably away from home, you know, against a difficult opponent, I think you'll probably more likely see check. I think if we were playing Norwich at home in a fixture, I think you might be better off with Luca in that situation, you know, for his use to the ball. Um, but it's difficult, isn't it? You know, the absence of James MacArthur seems to have derailed us a little bit. We're talking about a fellow who's, what, 33 or 34 or something, who's not going to be around forever, who is in the sort of autumn of his career. And much as I'm a huge fan of James MacArthur, and, you know, that's clearly evident by his absence at the moment, we should be strong enough and good enough to be in a position where you know, he shouldn't be a humongous loss if he's out of the team for for a little while. Not not to the level he's been. Um, but there isn't anyone who's who, who's grabbed the, the ball by the horns in that sense. You know, Will Hughes had his fifteen minute cameo. Um, you know, and I've already seen a few people sort of writing him off today, having thought he was the Messiah before he he started in typical. Uh, fan fashion, uh, but I thought he did okay, you know, for his, his little time on the field. And, you know, I must admit, in the first half, when Jordan Ayew was was absolutely uh, taking strike to the cleaners, I was wondering what the effect might have been if we had Michael Elise in that position, in that situation, perhaps doing the same thing. Edouard, disappointing, really. You know, Patrick Vieira chose to play the the Wilfred Central with Edward on the left, like he did at at Manchester City. But I don't think it it worked so well in that in the given the sort of hurly burly and speed and sort of uh, 
intensity of the game, I I felt that perhaps, you know, we were better when Benteke came on and Wilfred went on to the left-hand side. But we still, you know, we had our moments and our chances and didn't didn't put the opposition to the sword. And we know it's a game of fine margins. So we're talking about a couple of refereeing decisions. We're talking about missed chances. And, you know, in the end, we've ended up losing. And I know Dick Dom said we f- you felt vulnerable from the set pieces. I think they struggled. They struggled to score a goal against us, Leeds, I think, to be honest. I can't remember Vicente Guaita making a sort of serious save of any of any kind, really, in the game. We thought we were in big trouble. The chance uh, just after half-time was the one. But I think Ben Tekis was, you know, just as guilt-edged and you know, we to come away losing was was sort of a bit of a blow, really, I think. It's one of those where, you know, we, we, we're talking on the subject of Edouard and Zaha. Um do you do you think it's a bit weird that that we're opting with Edouard on the left instead of trying to play him centrally? I mean, I've seen him I've seen him we've seen him play centrally before and he he's not as masterful at holding the ball up as, as Benteke is, or as, you know, winning, winning headers. But I, don't, I wouldn't say that Wilf is any better at it than Edouard would be. And yet Wilf has been very, very good as a, as a, a wide midfielder. It just, it, to me, a wide winger, it just, to me, it seems a little bit of a waste of Edouard's kind of talent and the, the ability. And, and to some extent, we it's, it's almost the same issue that we had with, or the same criticism that Roy got last season with Benteke, where it's an issue of service rather than an issue of quality um, in terms of what Edouard does. We know that he's capable of scoring goals. We've witnessed him doing that, but we don't seem to kind of play in a way that that exposes opponents to those strengths. What are your thoughts on that, Dom? I completely agree. I feel sorry for Edouard that he's having to to play out on the left largely. I mean, he was, there was an interchange there. It wasn't, he wasn't just marooned out on the left. They, they, they did swap over at times. And of course, when Benteke came on, Zaha then concentrated purely down the left-hand side. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, I think it's on the assumption that he doesn't, that that's not his instinct to play out there, which I don't think it is. I think he'd like to be central. Um, I, I, I do feel sorry for him. I think, I think he should be used in central areas. I think, you know the three goals that he scored for Palace. Um, the first one I think was from a cross from from the left from from Zaha against Spurs. The second was one from the right, and the, the third was at least say yeah, liberating him in pretty much the central area. I think he came onto that shot pretty centrally from the edge of the the box at Arsenal. Um, I, I, that's that's his forte. I think um, I'd, I'd like to see I'd like to see us slipping balls in behind high lines for him to run onto. But again, that's just, that's largely opposition dependent. Um, and maybe someone like an Eze, possibly an Elise might, might, might do that for us in time. Um, but yeah, I, I, th- I think, I think Ed, I don't, I don't really pin any blame on, on Edward for his performance. I, I actually thought they all played pretty well. I, I, I don't really have any complaints about the, the tactics, about the, the performances of the personnel, other than other than that carelessness that crept that crept in with the final pass, and it's it's just a great shame that that 
that, that ended up costing us so so dearly, and, and it was it was one sort of semi error at the, at the back, and yeah, a, with an element of of misfortune in that as well that that's ended up meaning that that's the second successive defeat. Um, I thought it was a far better performance than say against Aston Villa at the weekend. There was much more balance to that team. Mm. And there were, you know, I, I, <laughs> in time, I'm sure we'll see, we, we can probably pluck positives out of it, not, not least in the performances of Schlupp and, and, and Hughes when he came on. I thought he did okay when he came on. He looked, he looked as if he might knit that midfield better um, in the absence of MacArthur than, than any of the other options in many ways. He, he, he had, he was busy. He was, he was he was he was decent on the ball and he had a, a a decent enough delivery from his one corner that he took i think so i think I'm hoping it's, that he gets a run now it's very interesting isn't it i mean we we the things that we miss about macarthur are, are numerous you know i think we when you look at the the um it's not just his passing but it's his tenacity his chasing and i thought when hughes came on there seemed to be a it gave the the midfield just a little bit more bite to, to kind of work the thing that I'm really interested to see is we're we're still working out the suitable kind of ideal combination that can get the most out of the most creative players in the in the squad and at the moment I think I completely understand why Vieira is doing what he's doing in terms of the selection and that is that in order you, you almost need to find again that chemistry, the the hardworking players and the, the players that are tenacious and 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 make uh, make the, the the lives of their opponents more difficult with with the the effort that they put in and balancing that with the players that are going to make life more difficult for the opponent with the quality that they have. Um, I think that the Eze is clearly perhaps well. I say clearly, perhaps that's a, a, a contradiction, but um, I think Eze is is still uh, rough around the edges. There's obviously going to have to be a, a, an introductory kind of process of getting him used to playing again, and that's that's going to be challenging because really you want to do that when you're in the lead and when you have one or two goals where you can do that. Um, and then with with Elise, it would be. I, the long-term hope is obviously that he he kind of fits into the side where Ayu would be, but against Aston Villa, I think he struggled a little bit against his opponent and, and kind of had difficulty in beating his man. And that's going to be that those things are going to play on on the manager's mind. Um... Hey everyone, it's Jim again here. Um, I'm going to make this next bit of winners and losers available to um, everyone on the public feed, actually, because um, it's a very important conversation that I think needs to be heard by everyone um, and not just the patrons. So I hope the patrons uh, understand and aren't too mad. Um, but yeah, this part of the winners and losers um, is going to be available to everyone uh, on all the versions um, of the podcast. JD, quickly, my my losers. This important. Um, the leads, the, the the leads fans who chanted homophobic comments oh, yeah. to yeah. Colin Gallagher. It's something about being a an English white football player with long blonde hair seems to single you out as being gay. Um, I think there's something quite interesting sociologically what's going on. I think that there is this feeling that there's a right to break away from boundaries of containment. And actually I have a right to be abusive, be it homophobic, being racist and we see I don't know if this is because of lockdown or it's the aftermath of the, the, the Brexit um, 
uh, kind of this anti-wokeness, uh, however we want to do it, the north-south divide, but there's definitely a trend where groups are beginning to say, I don't care, I'm going to speak my mind. Um, if I want to be homophobic, it's my free right to do that, mm. et cetera, et cetera, or racist. Um, on the one hand, you know, being a white heterosexual male with Irish heritage, I can say, well, at least we're seeing it. At least this is how close it is. You know, kick, kick racism out of football is the, I'm sorry, it's a bullshit term. You can't kick it out, you know, and if you, or you kick it down the, that, down the road, right? It's about how do you contain it? And the only way you contain it is by pretty much having cattle prodders with souped up electric, electrical shocks to really take these people out, that they never cross the threshold of a football stadium again. And that's really what we need to see. So those are my losers. No, I'm glad you mentioned that, and especially in a week of rainbow laces as well. It's incredibly disappointing. And I guess, JC, is Joe, sorry, Joe, is JC right that it needs to be sort of zero tolerance, I guess, to any of this kind of thing? Because a lot of the campaigns of the past don't necessarily seem to have made much of a difference. Yeah, and I mean, you've seen it even so, obviously this was a, a, in a case of homophobia, but um, for example, there, there are still the, the, the knees that kick off taking an easy kickoff and you're seeing Wolf. I see the conversation around Wolf's stance of not doing it. His explanation for doing so hasn't really cut through either, which mm. is that there's an agreement that the Premier League are against this, but are the club, what are the clubs doing on ground level, social media? I mean, what's, what's actually funny, I think, um, funny being the wrong word, but a lot of the abuse people get on social media, there's this inference that, it's all from anonymous accounts when actually <laughs> a lot of the convictions are people with their face and their families in the profile pictures and stuff like that. And it's still, that doesn't, that's not the, the government's push in the last few months, which was about, you know, everyone on social media should have identification. Those are, there are people f- openly giving their identification yeah. and still doing it. So that's not really a deterrent yeah. and it kind of um, feeds into what, JC was saying, which is just that I just think people think, oh, well, I don't care. You know, this is how I feel. And um, nothing you can stop me. You know, it's, it's, it's this entitlement of just not caring about other people at all. And, you know, it's, what, it, what does abusing Colin Gallagher in that respect, I think beyond everything, beyond how offensive it is, I imagine it's quite just bemusing to Gallagher. It's not cutting deep into his heart, I imagine. It's just like, yeah. what? Was so that going to put me off my game? No, I've just got... I've just got a hair. It's just like, it's so strange. But yeah, definitely discomforting. And as you say, in the week of the Rainbow Laces campaign in full swing, just just so, such a face palm moment. Yeah. It's, this, it's this whole striving for balance all the time about you've got to give everybody equal opportunity to answer or have an argument about it. I saw a Wolves fan I follow on Twitter um, last night. He was arguing with a Wolves, another Wolves fan about it. The, the Wolves fan was talking about, I've got a right to object to Rainbow Laces. And it's just like, why? Well, why do we? Why? Why have you got the right to object to? What are you objecting against? It's just such a, such a bizarre stance to have. Um, from my from my perspective, I just don't understand it. I don't understand why Conor Gallagher's the target, other than him using conditioner. I mean, honestly, what 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 do you need to 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 get out of it by by abusing him? And I hope Leeds throw the book at whoever it was. I hope Leeds, like any other Premier League club. Um, are embarrassed by it. If it was at Palace, I'd be absolutely appalled if, if an opposition player had experienced homophobic abuse um, while while doing their job. Um, just it's just totally bizarre. Just it's alien concept to me to to give a player abuse on the grounds of of 
of their sexuality, their colour, their religion. It's just, I, I just every time I hear it, I just I don't understand why. <laughs> and in the week of Rainbow Laces, it's just a glaring example of, of the improvements that the game needs to still make. Yeah, I saw uh, Troy Townsend replete, write to a tweet from a fan saying, some people find the Rainbow Laces campaign offensive. I think, And I was thinking, if you find it offensive then you've just opened yourself up as a homophobe, surely. The only people that can find that offensive are... Ho- it's, it is a bizarre take for people to do. And I should say as well that uh, Proud and Palace did a fantastic statement this week, actually, on during Rainbow Laces, asking the Premier League to do more and calling a lot of it, um, you know, sort of almost performative in a way and actually saying what is what is being done. So that do... I think we retweeted it, but do go check out that statement because it was... Uh, yeah, just... Sort of- on that point, sorry, JD, about that statement, which was fantastic by Steph, and it's the same thing with the kick it out and the taking the knee. If you want to oppose that because you think you do not agree with uh, the normalisation of, of homosexuality or the equality of of black football players, that's your that's your. Cho- I'm, I'm very sorry for you, right? But it's deeper than that, right? And it's actually the accountability is on the Premiership. Not on those fans, right? The accountability is the premiership, and they can change it if they want to. And that—that's—that's that's my biggest issue. The people who've got the financial power are the mm. ones that can change stuff. And I think that was the point of the Palace and Proud statement as yeah. well. Um, I feel like, guys, we should make this bit public. I think I'm going to make this bit public on because this is a very important conversation that I think needs to maybe not be just for the patrons. Um, but thank you very much for uh, for chatting about that. I think Joe, we didn't do your losers, did we? No, um, oh, just quickly, I, the ref uh, of the Villa game again, but um, I know we spoke about it earlier, but what we didn't mention was that that ref has now fined or charged the Palace and Villa players uh, to failing to control themselves during the game. And they've highlighted two incidents that are so just like, un, you know, you wouldn't even acknowledge that there was an issue. It's just kind of like protesting a foul or blowing up too early. But it just tells you, it just supports what we were saying about not... I, d- I not didn't even know that. I didn't even know he's done that. So I didn't even know he's done that. That's just even more the whole not controlling the situation. Like, so it was for two incidents separately, but happened within a minute of each other. One of them is when he blew up early on a, on a foul on Zahar and... Um, Gallagher and Gallagher went Gallagher went goal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Palace have been charged with failing to control players in that descent, which kind of didn't take last longer than 10 seconds. And yeah. then a minute later... When Luca lost the ball and hacked down Ollie Watkins and only got a yellow because well, I thought he was getting he's charged Villa for yeah. the same. He's charged Villa for failing to support their players. But it just says, feeds into what we were saying earlier about lost control of the game and was just probably taking out that loss of control on, well, you know, well, I'm going to report you and report you and report you. How about that? And <laughs> yeah. it's just yeah. uh, a bit of a head loss. So I suppose he's a loser because I feel harsh on choosing a Palace player, but if I was to choose a loser, that hasn't been mentioned. Perhaps Edward. I feel like he's becoming a bit of a square peg now. He's, you know, mm-hmm. there was a. It looked like uh, after the Spurs game. Wow, I guess he's starting up front, moving forward, almost uh, against his um, benefit that he did so well in the Arsenal game when Wilf was out wide. Because yeah. now he's just become an option in that, and I don't yeah. know how much he actually wants to be there uh, unless he's, you know, he combines well with Benteke. I must say, he has done that a few times, but. Yeah, I don't know. That, I can't imagine he's the most delighted he's been uh, in at the moment. Yeah, that has become another conundrum. You're right, I think he's a victim of his own success in that Arsenal game, but uh, I would like to see him drift more in. Although I like Benteke, and I thought he was good yeah. when he came on. 
Options. Um, anyway, guys, thank you for your winners and losers. Um, obviously, if you're on the Patreon feed, you heard that. If you're on the public feed, please go to patreon.com forward slash FYP podcast if you want to hear our winners and losers and post much pods every week. Uh, but for now, take a quick break. When we come back, questions. <laughs> It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at PenFed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at PenFed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Welcome back to the Five Year Plan Podcast. Hey. Uh, we've lost Joe. He had to go, uh, unfortunately, uh, but the three of us will uh, soldier on with questions from our listeners. Now, we touched on it in part one, the midfield conundrum, Luca and Czech, uh, and then Luca losing his place uh, for the Leeds game. Lots of people are asking us questions um, about that in particular. So, uh, Robin Mickelberg. Hey, Robin. Robin. Says, surely we now realise that Luca and Chiate cannot be on the pitch at the same time. The midfield, it, midfield isn't balanced with those two. Jesus Descender. Hey, great Jesus. name. Or, or <laughs> Jesus, possibly. Hey, Jesus. Might be, might be Jesus. Jesus. I apologise. Um, need a change in the middle. Uh, Milo. Milo, lovely. Uh, and Chiate. I've not heard him called that before. Not cutting it. Second to every ball. Wayward path is no presence. Give the lad Hughes a run in midfield. Um, other people asking. Chaz Lucas. Hey, Hi, Chaz. Chaz. Hey, Chaz. Uh, Wants to see Schluppy in there uh, instead of uh, instead of Luca, Jack. I, I'm wondering in general, and as you you guys said in, I won't give away too much uh, from the winners and losers. But Kiate came up for his good performance at Leeds at the weekend. A lot of people are questioning Luca's involvement, I, 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 and this has been going on for a while. I'm wondering, if, are we starting to see sort of the beginning of the end? Of Luca at Palace, and I know that sounds hyperbolic. I appreciate that, but now with our other options in midfield, it does seem like he's sort of dropped down the pecking order, and, and he is still club captain as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a difficult one with him. I, I personally, I felt that his performances have dropped massively um, since probably lockdown. I, I feel, and I know, and I, I fully acknowledge he's had a, a, an awful time personally, um, and I, I think that that was a massive factor. But I feel. He's a long way from the player that he was at the height of his powers. Um, it hasn't happened very many times for me. And in fact, I can't really recall the last time it happened. I genuinely felt for him on Saturday. I, I felt that he was going through a really, really bad spell and, and almost wanted the ground to swallow him up. Um, I, I don't think he's, for me, anywhere near the starting eleven at the moment. I think he is... Um, at best, a reserve option uh, for the base in midfield. I think Koyate's performances there so far this season make him the first choice by by a million miles uh, when when fit and available. 
Um, but we probably will need to call upon Luca if if he is in that position because you know Czech goes off to the uh, African Cup of Nations in January. Um, so I, I he's nowhere near the, the first team for me uh, at the moment. He's not my first choice in that midfield three, but I feel that he um, will still have a role to play this season. But I would not be surprised if the club are looking at making improvements at central midfield, not only due to his um, seemingly uh, loss of form, loss of quality. But obviously the question about Gallagher into next season, and I think with um, I think I'm right in saying that Luke has got another year after this one um, on his on his contract, so it might be time the club looks to maybe make some money back on him. But but for me that performance on on Saturday was 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 a real shame, and and I know everyone was delighted to see Eze come back on, um, and that was a lot of um, a lot to do with the noise that that happened when that substitution was being made. But I did hear boos and and almost jeers towards Luke as he went off as well. So. It's unfortunate because he's a player that's done a lot for the club and he's played an important role to getting us to where we are. But yeah, he just doesn't seem to be the player that he once was at the moment. Yeah, I mean, none of us want to hear boos and cheers for Luca or any player, to be honest. And 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 JC Jackie is right. I mean, Luca has played a very very important role for us. Part of that January uh, twenty eighteen twenty seventeen. Uh, transfer window when we spent fantastically and made an instant impact and has been captain for a while um, and in fact Jamie Woods hi Jamie has got a question about that saying why is Lucas still captain he played best for us before he's given the armband and probably should have been stripped of it after his New Year's Eve debacle uh, last year I'd forgotten about that does he offer any leadership on the pitch in your view I have to say I really quite liked Maka having the armband and even Wardy the weekend as well I, I, I do like quite like to see that but what are your thoughts on sort of Luca? I guess there's two strands, isn't it? Luca the player and what he offers, or maybe hasn't been recently, and then Luca the captain as well. Um, what are your thoughts, JC? Um, as a player, I, I think the, the Villa game, it, I, I thought him and Czech were, were both not up, not up to it because there they wasn't the balance. Um, it would have been interesting if, for example, Czech was dropped, which he never would have been. But if he was dropped and it was just Luca in that position, playing as the sole holding midfield player, would that have given Luca a little bit more of a clear role of what he had to do? This is all hypothetical. But um, I think that the problem with the Villa game was that, that both were playing. Um, and there was uh, there, there just wasn't any fluidity. I mean, Czechiate can't pass a ball, and he's not really there to pass a ball. Luca is better at passing <laughs> a ball than, than than Czech, and has shown earlier in the season when he did have some game time. You know, he was passing the ball around. He he actually was looking forward to drive it forward. Um, so there have been actually some good performances from Luca this this season. But overall, um, he's. He's not up to speed. It's almost like his legs are shot. Um, not, and that doesn't necessarily mean just he's slow. It's his decision-making. Uh, it's the, the the possession or the lack of. Um, I'm more concerned or more expecting that he will be fouling players in and around the penalty area, which he does do, and then he gets booked. Where Kiate, I don't get that feeling is the player who breaks up the play. And you saw that against Leeds. There's some fantastic interceptions from Czech. But you didn't feel like he was going to go piling in and taking a player out 25 yards out from the goal. And a bit of Burnley and also Villa, Luca was doing this. And that's a player who isn't... It just feels like he's, he's behind the pace of the game. And if you're behind the pace of the game, you make mistakes, not just with fouls, but you're also making mistakes with your passing, your decision-making, all these type of things. That will naturally impact on him as a leader. 
you know, you, you kind of want to have that, that, that kind of presence and be able to show that you can, you know, that you're, the way you're playing is also kind of transfer. And I also feel, I mean, him as the captain, I don't see him really in the face of referees anymore. Um, you know, I always thought that he was, he was the upgrade to Jelinek. He really was. I mean, period. He, you know, he was a different class from Jelinek, but he also brought with him that kind of steelness of a captain that Jelinek and, 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 you know, Delaney all had, right? So there was this kind of continuation from that Palace era. It just feels like it's all fizzled out, and I don't see him necessarily clawing this back. Yeah, I was going to say, Jack, actually, because I, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of remembering various conversations we've had on the podcast over the last couple of years about Luca, and, and he has bounced back a few times, to be honest. And there's been spells when he's been out where actually we really missed him in games, and you thought, oh, we could do with Luca today. But this does seem to be a slightly, and I say it with, with sadness, really, because I think Luca's been one of our best players we've had in the Premier League, and you know, really played an important part for us and he's only 30 you know the guy isn't ancient I mean James MacArthur's got four years on him and he's obviously still running rings around everyone so you know I, I sort of do hope maybe Luca can can claw it back but I think JC's point about the two that playing alongside Chiarte is is pertinent because that didn't work so really it is there is one spot up for grabs really and I guess currently that is Chiarte's but I don't know I mean is there any way back for Luca? If there is <clears throat> either for Palace or, or another club in one of Europe's better quality top flights, he needs to learn to adapt his game. Or he needs, sorry, not learn, he needs to adapt his game. I still think he's trying to play the game he was trying to three years ago. Um, and I think, as, as JC just touched on, I think his body's changing. I think his, his energy levels aren't the same. Um, so either he needs to change his whole approach to football, and a lot of players in their early 30s do do that. Um, and Or he needs to accept that his style of play needs to change. I mean, I've never... I've never thought he was the playmaker that I think he maybe thinks he is. I always felt he was best when he could give the ball five yards to Johan Kabay and Johan Kabay yeah. makes the pass. And then we all associate Luca and Kabay as making Palace a, a better team. But I don't think he's necessarily got that next to him, particularly at the moment if you've got midfielders in front of uh, the base midfielder of MacArthur and Gallagher, whose ways of getting forward are more uh, energetic and a run base rather than, you know, uh, passing. I know, you know, MacArthur and Gallagher are both good on the ball but they're not Johan Kabay um, so I, I I just think Luca needs to kind of look at his own game and he's got a coach in Patrick Vieira who knows that position um, as well as anybody over the last 25 years and maybe Luca needs to go cap in hand to the manager and say teach me how to play this position differently because the way he's playing at the moment isn't good enough and I I see that that tackle he made on Watkins and whether or not he got the ball slightly and was it was harsh or whatever the amount of times we see Luca running after a midfielder or an attacker five yards behind him, and you know what's going to happen. He's going to pull him back or he's going to cynically pull the shirt or whatever. That get referee giving him a yellow card has happened so many times over the last few years that it's become a bit of a joke to, to me and my friends. Um, so I, I think if Luca wants to stay um, playing at the top flight, at the top level, there's some adaptations to his game that need to happen. That, that, would, be, that would be my opinion on it. Well, time will tell with Luca. Um, I want to come on to a couple more questions about sort of life in general as a Palace fan at the moment, because obviously we are going through a, a sort of difficult patch after having a, you know, a free, pretty decent uh, start to the season with these two defeats. And honestly, it's splitting people. So the likes of um, Mike Clark. Hello, Mike. It's one of our hey, patrons, one of our long-standing patrons, top man. Uh, he says, 
were we really that bad or had recent performances set the bar expectations a little high in our heads? Uh, Magic 3 CPFC, hello, hello Magic, Magic. Um, says, is this a blip or is this a trend? And I, I guess I'll come to you for this, JC. I guess maybe after two games, I don't know if you can get a trend, but I want to get your thoughts on that. Um, Anton Jean Baptiste. Hello, Anton. Hello, Anton. Hello, Anton. Says, so considering the, pan- the panic and predictions from the summer and how good we started the season, are we all just overreacting to these recent results? And this is a really good question here from Robbie Scotcher, another one of our patrons. Hello, Robbie. Hey, Robbie. Uh, absolutely top man. He says, and I go again, JC, come to you for this. If you followed Palace for 20 years, open brackets, insert whatever years applicable, how annoyed can you realistically be right now? Where, where are we in the state of play then, JC? Oh, um, we are rooted in the middle of transition. And that, that should... Oh, that's the podcast title. Thank you. <laughs> um, I think that's my third one. <laughs> you get a match ball. Yeah, yeah. I get a little like, blue Peter badge or something. Um, <laughs> I think we are rooted in transition, which is fantastic. It's exactly where we should be. Um, let's, you know, we're looking at it. We've got an exciting squad. We've got a young manager who's making mistakes and isn't making mistakes. Um, and we got to the stage where we're saying, well, we've got Villa and Leeds. That's six points in the bag. Um, if we stand back, we had still quite a lot of, we had more possession than Villa on, on, on the game. Villa have spent a considerable amount more money than we have on, on their squad. Um, um, the Villa, the first Villa goal and the Leeds goal were individual errors around marking. So it wasn't like we were played off the park or Villa could have had another three, four goals. So we, we can take this back a little bit and, and, and just think that let's just see this as transition. Now, the thing about transition, you have to get through it. And what we have to be careful of is that these types of losses or a couple of losses, and we've got Man U, so you could throw into the hat the third loss if you wanted to, but that doesn't hit um, confidence. And that, and then you think, well, if Eze is coming back to fitness, if someone like Will Hughes is getting match fit and is going to do, you know, he could come in and start playing some blinders. Um, Anderson coming back, you know, then, then, then we kind of we're, we're reborn again. We start again. So I wouldn't. I definitely won't be upset about this. I have to see this as a natural transition. How people started talking about Europe and, uh, you know, and everyone was right. You know, and this is amazing. And one day we're really going to spank a team. You know, and, and we might still do that. But that's really the wrong positioning to have at the moment. So see this transition, and transition is always bumpy. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with that. To be totally honest, Jack, do you do you agree with that? I do agree with that. I mean, in comparison to losing Tuesday night games at home to Grimsby and Scunthorpe or whoever it's been over the last twenty five years, I'll I'll take I'll take the last week over that. For me, the you know the whole Premier League season is such a tumultuous journey that you are naturally going to have good weeks. And this this I mean this probably does feel a bit more negative than it should be because we've lost two in three games. Whereas if we lost over two consecutive weekends, it might have felt a bit different. Um, I don't know, maybe maybe not, but that's just how I'm feeling about it. The test for me is I'm not really looking at you know, and we'll touch on United in a moment, but I'm, I'm not really thinking there's a great chance, despite our fantastic record in Manchester over the last few seasons, I'm, I'm expecting United to, to kind of turn up, particularly if they've got the new manager in the dugout. The test for us, I guess, will be against a very, very dispirited Everton mm. uh, a week on Sunday. Um, <laughs> who knows, they might have a new manager as well. We do seem to be the, the team that managers are having their first game against or one of their first games against at the moment. But if we go into that game um, and the performance is 
isn't quite there. I think Palace fans might have a bit more justification for, for reacting quite negatively. Um, you know, Say we lose against United, that'll be three defeats on the bounce, and the Everton game at home would give us a good opportunity to stop that rot at least. Um, so I'll probably have more of an opinion about where we're at after that game before we go into then a very busy Christmas schedule. I think we're playing four games in <clears throat> two weeks. So, you know, it's, it's not the ideal time of year for a confidence drop. Um, but equally, it's just it's just two defeats at the moment, and, um, and and we'll have to see where we are. But yeah, totally with with JC in terms of transition is very difficult in any form, um, let alone when you're trying to take a whole football club with you. Absolutely. Uh, and speaking of transition, we're going to make one now from uh, questions. I know nice. it's bound to happen at some point. Uh, no, it's only been four hundred and six <laughs> episodes. Four hundred and six pods. Uh, thanks to everyone for their questions. We appreciate it, and please do keep sending them. Sorry, can't ask them each uh, each week, but we appreciate your questions. Um, after the break, we're going to celebrate very quickly a very special anniversary. Hey, it's Jesse Kelly. Ronald Reagan famously once said the nine most terrifying words in the English language are I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Americans are losing faith in the banking system and at the same time the U.S. government could soon be headed toward a centralized banking system. How scary is that? How do you protect yourself as the government gets more involved in your life? For me, owning gold is one way. Having gold that I can see and touch makes me feel protected. Having a portion of your retirement in precious metals is another way to feel protected. I don't own crypto, I don't own NFTs, and I don't buy meme stocks. I don't invest in things I don't understand. If you are like me and want to feel safe, it's time to call my friends at the Oxford Gold Group. Go to www.oxfordgoldgroup.com to learn more. Again, that's www.oxfordgoldgroup.com. Hi, Phil Swift here for new Flex Super Glue. What's truly amazing is that our Flex Super Glue is so strong that just one drop virtually welds itself to the surface and can lift over three tons. Forget those old Super Glues, get the one that's new Flex Super Glue. Go to flexsealproducts.com forward slash three ton lift to learn more about how one drop lifted three tons. For demonstration purposes only. Welcome back to the Five Pan Podcast. Hey! Uh, right, so this week is the anniversary of possibly the greatest goal I've ever seen live, although I did go to the Etihad a couple of years ago and watch Townsend, so it's up there. But the Darren Ambrose goal uh, in the League Cup against uh, Man United, uh, where Palace actually won 2 1 on the night. I want to just talk to you both about this because I know it's, a, it's, a, it's such a special goal. Before we do that, Let's chuck in the commentary from the goal so you can enjoy that. And then last year during our lockdown pods, we did actually have Darren on the podcast and he spoke about this goal. So you'll also hear from Darren talking about uh, his memories of the goal as well. Just overran that. Now Zahar's got a bit of green grass ahead of him here. And finds Ambrose. What a goal. What a goal. Doesn't look any danger. That's 40 yards. Oh, my word. Darren Ambrose. What a strike. 
Now, a little bit like Darren Gibson, we know that he can have a dick, but that is an absolute bullet by Darren Ambrose. <laughs> you know what, more, a lot, it is a lot, <laughs> but it's more people showing me, yeah. which... And I have to like stand there and go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like it's the first time I've seen it. Like. <laughs> but I, you know what? It was a weird, it's a weird goal because everyone knew I, I liked to try. I, I scored a few good goals in my career, and it didn't. I didn't think it was as good as it was, which is strange. I knew it went in, but then they equalised straight after, and mm. I kind of just you just get on with the game. Um, and it was only after my my phone had, had blew up. Like it was. <laughs> Ridiculous! I've never seen my phone. I, I weren't on Twitter or Instagram at the time, but I was trending worldwide, number one. Which <laughs> I think it was one, two, and three because the two was Gary Neville's comments, and and I didn't know what that meant at the time. I was like, well, I don't really know what that means. But now I'm on Twitter. I think flipping hell, yeah, that that went global. Which again, another thing that. You, you don't win trophies, you're not remembered, but I am remembered for that goal from everyone. Not not just Palace fans, every single fan that ever speaks to me. I mean, I'm, I'm working on Talk Sport now, and I get phone calls, and they say the same thing, like, that goal you scored, no matter who they support, it's just, it's it, it's a proud moment for me, to be honest, to, to have that. Well, do you know what, it's brilliant to have an excuse to watch it again this morning, seven or eight times, um, but when you go onto YouTube, it's, it's in about 14 different languages down the side, the same goal, but in Russian captions, Chinese captions, which proves that it went global, but... The, every time I see it, I don't understand it. It goes the wrong way. It should it should go in the other corner the way you hit it, but it, it yeah. just seems to suddenly the ball has a mind of its own with the power and that swerve. Because I mean, yeah. a couple of couple of seasons after that, everyone started talking about the swaz that the ball had, but it, mm. it wasn't. Then I, I don't know how you did it. Did you deliberately hit it with a certain part of your foot, or was it literally close your eyes, have a swing, see what happens? Um. It was it was it was kind of deliberate. It's never deliberate to go exactly where you want it and aesthetically look that good as a goal. It's it's never that deliberate. You always want that. Um, a quick story about that. I've, I've I've said it many times that I weren't I didn't start that game and I was fuming. You know, Dougie picked the team. I went to see him. I felt that. I had enough to, to cause them problems. Um, I understood the reason. He, he said, look, we're, we're going up. We're, we're going to try and counter them with pace, with Scans and, and, and Wilf. And uh, I think Jermaine Easter was up top. We're going to try and do them with pace, but we're going to sit deep and like take the pressure. But I was gutted. And I, I went out with a bag of balls and I was blasting them at the goal because I was angry. Um, and they were going everywhere. Like, we've got a big net behind the goal that we did have at Popers Cope. And they were clearing the net. They were in the trees. And I was getting a bit of stick off like, the, the, the guys. And So when I actually got the ball, well, when, before I come on, um, I just felt I want to I prove to Dougie that I did have enough. Like, so I'm going to shoot. Like I'm going to try and shoot as many times as I can because I, I always felt if I have three or four shots in a game, one's going to end up in a net. But I didn't realise that it was so far out. It was just natural that the day before I was smashing them from all angles um, that it just it just seemed natural to just get it, put it on my foot and hit it. And about five minutes prior to that, I picked it up in around the same area and I looked up and the goalkeeper was, he was about seven yards out. So I always felt next time I get it, no matter where, 
I'm going to try and put that, that dip on the ball because if he's still there, if, he, if that's his positioning, he's going to struggle if, if I hit it right. So, yeah, I just got it, put it on my foot and tried to put that bit of swaz on it, as, as you guys were saying. And it just, it just perfect. It just went perfect. And I looked up. He wasn't as far out. He's about five yards out. But I just knew as soon as I hit it, I knew it was going in. Um, and it was, only, it was only when I watched it back that I thought, flipping hell, I, I should have passed. Like, I was so far out. I should have given it Wilf. Like, he wanted the one-two. I should have given it him. I should have slid Jammer in. But I always felt throughout my whole career, and people who played me in the youth team would say, like, I, if, I, if you don't shoot, you're never going to score goals like that. You know, I look at the team now, and James MacArthur is very underrated as a player, in my opinion. But just shoot. Luca. They, they get the ball. And I, I feel if I played now in the Prem, I'd score 10, 15 goals a season, even though, even with no athleticism in me. If if I, I can't keep up with the prem pace now, I always feel that I would get. I, I watch them. I watch these guys. They get it 20, 25 yards out, and their first thought is pass it wide or roll it to the fullback. They're never looking to shoot a goal, and it's the one thing. I, it's the one thing that annoys me a little bit about the team. Just. Get the ball on your foot and shoot because Luca done it once last season and put it in the top corner. But it's the first time he'd ever looked to shoot, and that was always me as a player. I was always going to just get the ball and shoot. And the the game before, I think we played QPR at home. I did it a similar distance, and I hit Rosette, you know. And I, you get that that ooh, bit of a growl from the crowd as if what you're doing. But it never phased me. I was always confident that every now and then you hit the target, and hopefully it goes in. And it did. It, it was it was a special goal for me. Well, there you go. Thanks to Darren. Uh, really appreciate that. Uh, absolutely, absolutely top guy. I love Darren so much. And uh, yeah, a very special goal. Jack, what was your, uh, what was your memory of that goal? I watched it at home um, with uh, my, my dad and my brother. And I think while they both went absolutely mental, I think I, I, I remember just kind of sitting in a chair and just kind of silently just mouthing expletives that I won't repeat on the pod. I just couldn't <laughs> believe... Um, it, it had gone in, and I kind of winning that night is kind of lost on me because of how good that goal was. I know we actually beat Manchester United at Old Trafford, which hopefully we'll repeat uh, this Sunday. But <laughs> I I just remember thinking one the audacity to hit it, <clears throat> and and two for it to fly in, and we'd actually been the much better team as well up until that point. So it's just reward. Um, and I think I'm right in saying, and please do correct me, uh, either JC or JD or or listener. But didn't Darren only just come on? He'd only come on about five or ten minutes before that, or may have come on at half time. He didn't. He certainly oh. didn't start the game. Um, yeah. And he'd not had the best start to the season, you know, post the the Hillsborough season where he'd been so important, and the subsequent season um, under Burley and initially Freeman. He hadn't had the same kind of start, so it, it was just a great moment for him, just to kind of remind everyone, I am absolutely quality, <laughs> and, he, and he and he was, and he and he still is, as far as I'm concerned, one of the best Palace players that we've had for. Uh, well, certainly during my lifetime, but it's just an incredible goal. And I think I'm right in saying that Gary Neville described it that night as the best. Yeah. Well, he initially described it as the best goal he'd ever seen at Old Trafford and then remembered who he was and said, fine, away you play <laughs> But I, I genuinely think I'll go with his first answer because I, I can't remember seeing many better goals scored at that stadium um, than that. Maybe Rooney's overhead kick, but I argue that he shinned that um, rather than uh, bodied it as purely as, uh, as, as Darren scored that goal. That night, but yeah, fantastic memory, and 
Um, you know, a lovely article in The Athletic this week about the, the family that were captured on, um, uh, on, on the TV that night and obviously the sad events that followed. But an amazing moment that means so much to so many Palace fans and uh, nice to talk about it again 10 years on. Yeah, that article is, is about Mark Wellians who, uh, after the goal goes in, you see him clutching his boys, Dominic and Nathan, and, uh, and giving them a big embrace. And it, the look on Mark's face, I think it's repeated by many in the away end. Just, what, what, I can't believe this. Sadly, Mark did pass away a few years later, but there's a very nice article with his sons uh, in The Athletic. Um, so do check that out. I've got so many weird memories from the night, but the fact that the move has started by uh, Palace legend David Wright, Breaking up, which is very odd that he should be involved he, he, in. He, he dominated uh, Paul Pogba that night, which is uh, yeah. should be yeah. forgotten. He and that United him. team had that United team had Pogba, it had Dimitar Berbatov, it had the the, the Silver brothers, one of whom I think got taken off because Zaha was playing so well um, at yeah. half time. So there's many weird memories. Um, my memory, JC. Um, I actually don't remember Ambrose shooting because it was so far I wasn't actually looking. So my own memory is someone, I was with my dad and my brother and sister, someone, don't know if it was them or someone near, going, don't shoot from there, Darren, and looking up and just seeing it fly in the top corner because it was just such a, it was such an audacious attempt. Although I guess as we all knew Darren at that point, we sort of knew that he had that in his locker. But even so, it was ridiculously audacious. Yeah, no, it was, I mean, but I also remember that game because of Zaha and Zaha's performance. Mm. And it was almost his kind of introduction to the world because mm. it was Man U. It was on, it was on global TV. And I think that there was a, um, the Italian press the next day in, in one of the newspapers spoke more about Zaha than the goal itself. Yeah. And I think they described Zaha as, <laughs> this is beautifully Italian, when you're catching an eel, you wear special wire gloves, but he was the type of eel who would be able to get through the wire gloves. <laughs> and I just said, I've never wire. heard that. That's amazing. No, and it, it was, it was incredible. So I, I was just taken by Zahar and just how he complete, you know, that was and if any, up there with the goal. That was my memory of that match. Again, not ready that we won it. I, I don't know. Who was the man you goalkeeper, by the way? It, Amos. Ben Amos, Amos, I think. Yeah. Oh, it was yeah. Ben Amos. Okay, yeah. it, it was. I, I thought it was the the guy who ended up at Brighton afterwards or something. From <laughs> oh, Man U. Maybe, maybe it was Thomas um, Kuchak. Yeah, no, Kuchak. Yeah. Yeah. No, okay, yeah. fine. No, that no, was okay. that was that was my romance. If you get you get banished <laughs> to Brighton. So <laughs> No, and to be fair, the winner is a good header from from uh, from Glenn Murray as well, right in front of the away end. So it was yeah. uh, it was a, yeah. But you're right. The 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 win is almost sort of lost. Just that goal is so it overshadows everything. And actually, you're right about Zaha. I I think it was the game where because um, there was rumours of Klein going to United, and I think it was the game where they thought, oh, we'll have a good look at Klein. Yeah. But Wilf was so good, Jack. I think that's actually the game. I'm sorry, I know we're going away from. Yeah. Sorry to Darren, but I think we're going away from the goal. But I think that was the game that actually convinced Ferguson but, to sign. All, Wilf. all three of Kleiny, Wilf, and Sean Scannell all had really good games, and. Palace, being in the Championship at that point, didn't pl- didn't play live on television very often, and I yeah. think it kind of made people realise, oh, actually, there's something going on at at Palace, and we weren't particularly high flying in the Championship at the time. I think we were probably twelfth to eighteenth or something like that. So the result really wasn't forecast by many, um, but it did give an opportunity for the the three youngsters in particular to um, to, to show what they could do. And I, yeah, I'm with JC. I just remember Wilf tearing them apart in the first half, and his. Um, final decision making wasn't very good but in terms of 
skinning players and fullbacks and making Premier League level players look very um, silly. Wilf was absolutely brilliant. And it was Wilf um, who I think with a lovely bit of skill then finds the space to play into Darren who then shoots from 653 yards out well, and, and bags it he, in the top he corner. Lays it, he lays it on a plate really for Ambrose, doesn't he? He really does. I mean, there wasn't much for, for Ambrose to do after that <laughs> and, uh, you know, all, all credit goes to Wilf. Um, I think, I, I remember a funny video I think with both Wilf and, and uh, Darren recorded by the club a few years ago where... Um, <laughs> Will says you never thank me for the assist or something like that <laughs> and I just remember thinking yeah nice um, nice touch but yeah great great memory and um, I think we you know we've been treated to Andros's um, amazing goal at, at the Etihad but for me Darren's probably does still still beat that probably because of the moment in time um, yeah and I don't think we'll see many better Palace goals in in the near future, for sure. So that's definitely one to savour. And the fact we're talking about it 10 years on says it all really, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I think, obviously, we had Danny Butterfield on the live podcast a couple of weeks ago talking about that hat-trick against uh, Wolves. It's another, it's another moment. I was very lucky to be at the both games where you're just you just sort of stunned into silence and feel very lucky to have been there and witnessed it as well. I then ended up after that, my sister was at university in Manchester at the time, going to a Manchester student club called Juicy. Um with Andy and Dot Brown, of all people, and we were the oldest people in there by about uh, 20 years. It was, uh, it was horrendous. But anyway, great, great night in general. Um, so thank you, Manchester. Um, and cheers, guys. So thanks for indulging me in that. I thought it was quite nice to, to give a little nod. And thank you to Darren, of course, for his, for his words on the, on the goal and coming on the podcast. And I think we're going to get Darren on again at some point because uh, he's, a, he's a good talker and he's a top man. Uh, right, after break, really quick preview, ironically, of May United Away. E- When it comes to business and meeting travel in Orlando, it's never business as usual. Sure, I could go on for days about all the incredible places to hold your meeting or the innovative industries that will make you feel right at home. But Dr. Michael Edwards of Ocean Insights said it best. Orlando is as much a business capital as an entertainment one. And when work wraps up for the day, the evening is just getting started. I'd love to tell you about all the 46 Michelin-rated restaurants, or the array of outstanding dishes that'll have you coming back again and again. But executive chef Guillaume Rabin of Lake Nona Wave Hotel can sum it up better than me. Orlando has a world of artisans, so you can try incredible cuisines from across the globe. It's so true, and there's so much more. So dive in and see what's happening in Orlando, where the possibilities for business travel are unbelievably real. Learn more at orlandoforbusiness.com. Welcome back to the final part of this week's Five Year Pan Podcast. Yay! Uh, and it's Man United away. So, JC, if we could just get... Uh, well, actually, I'm wondering, who, if we end up with an Ambrose-style goal at the weekend, who's it going to be from? Who, who's smashing it in from 40 yards in the top corner? <laughs> Tompkins. Coyote, <laughs> but it was only meant to be a five-yard pass. But yeah, this is the... <laughs> yeah. Uh, what are we expecting from uh, Saturday? Because, of course, typically... Uh, United have a new manager or will have a new temporary manager. Uh, Ralph Rang... Now, let me get this right. Ranganak? Have I said Rang- that right? R- Rangnick. Rangnick. Oh, I Rangnick. knew I'd get it slightly Close. wrong. Close. Um, Close. <laughs> Close enough. Um, so, you know, I don't want to use a cliche, JC, but I'm going to do it anyway. We might see the old 
new manager bounce. And I know a lot of people say that isn't a thing. Uh, but of course, United are going to be slightly changed. Not quite sure even really what to expect from them. Um, so it's going to be an interesting one for Palace, really, especially after these two defeats on the bounce. Yeah, so it's his first game against Tottenham tomorrow. Is that uh, Manu oh, playing? No, I think it is no, Sunday. No, I think it's his first Arsenal. game is Sunday. Manu Arsenal tonight, and he hasn't got his um, the appropriate paperwork for tonight. So Carrick's looking after them tonight, and then Rangnick okay. in theory should be in charge for okay. Sunday. Well, I mean, look, let, let's, I mean, yes, there will be some form of a bounce and people showing more energy and up for it, but it doesn't, you know, Maguire will be back, which suits us, unless, of course, he's actually <laughs> dropped. Um, I, I think it's more about who, we, who we're going to pick, and let's assume that Anderson is still injured, so let, Tompkins will be there, Nathaniel Klein will be coming in. The big question is, do we play Ayu or do we play Zaha and then um, Edward with Benteke in the middle? Or do we play Ayu, Zaha, and then someone in the middle? With that, either Edward or Benteke, and I think it needs to be Benteke. Then the big question is in the middle of the park, and I think we have to keep this balance of just one holding player. Um, and then the question is, is it Schlup, which most likely will be because he's the fittest, but it could be Hughes, I think. Well, I mean... I'm glad you said that. Stephen Goldring. Hello, Stephen. Hi, Stephen. Uh, hey, Stephen. Has simply, Jack has simply said, will Hughes to start on Sunday? So that, that's definitely going to be an area of the park, I'd imagine, where there might be some decisions to be made. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite the jump, though, from a 10-minute cameo to starting at Old Trafford. So I, <laughs> yeah. I'd be surprised. Um, I thought Schlupp played quite well, solid, 6, 7 out of 10, probably close to 6 on, uh, on Tuesday night. Um, I don't think he's done enough to lose his place, necessarily. You obviously don't drop Conor Gallagher because the start of the season he's had and Coyote at the base. So I think the midfield three will stay the same. I think Jordan Ayew will start on the right-hand side and I think Wilf will go to the left-hand side and Benteke through the middle. Benteke through the middle, obviously for his attacking threat, but equally I think we need him at set pieces defensively. He's one of our best defenders of a set piece and at the moment with our fragility at the back piece. And I have to say, you know, I know we're talking about the next game, but the last game, I know it doesn't go down as a goal conceded from a set piece, but it's our fragility and and naivety at defending set pieces which leads to the penalty being conceded. So I still think Benteke um, will be needed from a defensive point of view as much as anything. Um, so that that would be the way I see. Tompkins, you know, we, we all know about his um, his injury record. Three games in eight days M- might be pushing it to be honest. But what's the mm. alternative? Um, Check then moves back into the. Into the defence, or Martin Kelly rises from uh, <laughs> rises from the grave and and plays. I, I don't know. So, I, I think Tompkins will be uh, required to play. I think there's some hope that Anderson might be fit, but I, I'm with JC. I think you've got to presume he won't be. Um, mm. So it's it's going to be a challenge for Palace because I think even if there's not a natural manager bounce, and I, I'm with you, I don't necessarily believe in that. The atmosphere will be probably more positive in Old Trafford than it has been for the last few months under. Under Solskjaer, so um, yeah, there, there'll be um, the place will be uh, certainly livelier, and you'd expect that will rub off on the players. But our record in Manchester is very good, so um, the the hope is that we continue that that magic ride that we we seem to have when we uh, when we enter that part of the world and and at least take a point. It would be good to stop, you know, losing three games on the bounce, even if we as Palace fans don't start to consider it. Um, uh, a crisis, you know, unfortunately we'll start to see Palace being spoken of re- relatively negatively in the press, which is never a great thing after three bounces. And then would naturally, as I touched on in the last part, would put a bit more pressure on the Everton game the week after, which, again, we, we don't really want to have. But 
uh, I suspect we might not be coming home with anything on Sunday. I could expect that we'll um, have Luke and Kiate starting. <laughs> you reckon? No, I can. I, can uh, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think Patrick, you, I think if you're listening, right. if you're listening, yeah. Patrick, don't do that. Yeah, you're not. You're not. No, I. I think the mid. I think the the three of Kiate, Schlupp, and and Gallagher probably did enough on Tuesday to to warrant uh, the same. I'm just thinking, JC, really quickly. Um, it'd be nice, and it will be very difficult. But when teams are in the process of struggling, man- managers tend to go back to basics. It's what Gerard's done at Villa. I think he said in his first game, "I don't care how we do as long as we keep a clean sheet," uh, which they did in beating Brighton two 0 It would be nice for Palace to, you know start there because it's been not had many this season and that would be the basis wouldn't it of getting back to a bit of form yeah I don't know what back to basics is I mean Gerard's conceded three goals in three games so it's you know but um, I think it's about I don't know if it's about back to basics I think it's about back to understanding where is the balance in this current situation that's what I, th- I think is lacking what Villa did and Gerard did very well he played Ashley Young as a kind of number 10 which mm. create experience, and it's just about getting that balance. God, I hate Ashley Young. I hate him. <laughs> uh, just took me back to that playoff semi final in two thousand six when he scored oh. that free kick, and I just thought, why are you still here? But he is still here, <laughs> lining up free kicks in exactly the same part. It just felt like I was looking in Inception or something like that. But yeah, Villa did do a job on us in that number. I think one of the key things for this Sunday is Palace need to do the basics right, and the basics are scoring a header from three yards out. And being better at set pieces. If we if we take our chances when they're as presentable as that one for Benteke was, and we are better defensively from set pieces than we have been, things will start to look brighter. Both those things, well, certainly the defending one, is, is certainly easier said than done. Um, but for me, we just need to start doing the basics a little bit better than we have done for the last last two games, and even parts of the Burnley game as well. Completely agree. Um, I'd love to go back to 2006. We've got our slimmer... <laughs> had more hair, didn't have a mortgage. Honestly, I'd love to, to do that. But um, maybe, yeah, the Ashley Young thing, actually, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe I'll stay in the present. Um, anyway, guys, thank you so much. Uh, really appreciate uh, you coming on the pod. Thanks to Joe, of course, who did have to pop off earlier. But, you know, we love Joe as well. So thank you for, for that. Thank you to all, all our listeners for their questions. Uh, please do join our patron, patron.com forward slash FYP podcast for all the extra bits. And thank you to our patrons. We love you as well. Uh, there'll be a post-match pod for the patrons uh, on Sunday after that game and we'll be back next week uh, to review that game and talk more uh, about Palace but until then uh, Jack take care enjoy the rest of your week thanks very much yep thank you JD and JC as well thank you JD good to be on it top man Uh, and that's it take care see you again soon goodbye bye Podcast Network. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit make these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Superlight Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step. And the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Superlight Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. 
So what can you do in a super light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.